0: Hello and welcome! The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario.
1: This reading comes from 1 John 5 verses 11 to 21 from the Kingdom New Testament version. This is the witness. God has given us the life of the age to come. And this life is in his son. Anyone who has the son has life. Anyone who does not have the son of God does not have life. I'm writing these things to you so that you may know that you who believe in the name of the son of God do indeed have the life of the age to come. This is the bold confidence we have before him. If we ask for something according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we already possess the requests we have asked from Him. If anyone sees a brother or sister committing a sin which is not deadly, they should ask, and God will give give life to the people who are sinning in a way which is not deadly. There is such a thing as deadly sin. I do not say that one should pray about that. All sin is unrighteousness, and there is a sin which is not deadly. We know that everyone fathered by God does not go on sinning. The one who is fathered by God keeps them, and the evil one does not touch them. We know that we are from God. The whole world is under the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we should know the truth. And we are in the truth, in his Son, Jesus the Messiah. This is the true God. This is the life of the age to come. Children, guard yourselves against idols. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Did you notice that this morning's scripture reading maybe sounded a little bit different? Nothing to do with Rebecca and her reading. It's to do with the translation that we chose for this morning. This version is called the Kingdom New Testament. It's translated by a New Testament scholar named Tom Wright, an Anglican. And uh, in in the Kingdom New Testament, he makes an important and an interesting word choice. Wherever your English version uses the word eternal life, the Kingdom New Testament says the life of the age to come that's an important word choice that's an interesting word choice and i want to t- i want to talk about that for a minute and and why it matters i want you to imagine that you're an israelite living in ancient times perhaps living in exile before, centuries before the time of jesus okay if you lived in that period in the prophecy of daniel you'd receive this prophecy and uh, you'd hear about this day of judgment that's coming. And in Daniel chapter 12, here's what we read in Daniel. He says, there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Now listen to this. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, or eternal life, some versions say. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. Now that's in Daniel's letter, centuries before Jesus, during the time when God's people are in exile in Babylon. And there's this promise there of a future resurrection. And after that resurrection, there is this new age, this whole new age. Now for some people, that is... Very, very bad news. But for some, for the people whose names are written in God's book, it's very good news. It's very good news. Now, why are we talking about Daniel? Now, if you've been around for any amount of time, you know that as a teacher, it's, I sort of prefer not to use the original languages unless it's necessary, unless it's helpful for making a point. Today is one of those days. Today I need to do a, spend a bit of time in the Greek Now, in case you didn't know jesus and the new testament teachers didn't speak english okay they did not speak english they spoke a language called aramaic which is very close to hebrew but they read scripture and they wrote scripture and they memorized scripture in greek so when we read in daniel in our english translations it says either eternal life or it says everlasting life And it says that because that's a good, simple, simplified translation of this Greek phrase, zoein aeonion. Zoein meaning life, aeonion meaning like eternal, extending on forever, but more than that. And it's the same word from which we get the word eon. And and that's what's what's contained in the Greek version of Daniel 12. Zoein aeonion. Now here's the tricky part. If I ask most of us, what are we talking about? What do we mean when we say eternal life? What does eternal life mean? Most of us would probably answer, it means we live forever. We live forever. And we would partly be right if that was the answer that we gave. That would be partly right. Now, just to be clear, though, it doesn't matter what I think a word means as a teacher. It doesn't matter what I think it means. What matters is what did Daniel think that it means? What did Daniel's audience think that it means? What did Jesus think that it means? And What does Isaiah think it means? And John and on and on and on. And the people who wrote Scripture, what did they think that it means? And what did their audience think that it means? Because by the time of Jesus, everybody understood that history is divided into two parts. Okay? There is this present evil age, and then there is the age to come. And when Jesus taught about Zoain Aeonion, they heard him and they knew that what he meant by Zawain Aeonion is the same thing that Daniel meant by Zoain Aeonion. It's this future hope. It's not going to heaven, okay, but it's a resurrection followed by this age, uh, that, this age to come. It's this age of just like unending shalom. It's goodness and peace and joy And flourishing. It's the earth renewed. It's like it's the garden restored. This is the life of the age to come. And that's what's meant by Zoane Aeonion. And we get to experience it here and now. Okay? That's what's meant by Zoane Aeonion. And that's what the scripture means every time we find this phrase that in English is translated eternal life. You with me so far? Like, that's what's contained in this phrase eternal life. Now, what does this have to do with John? All along, John's aim has been to help us to understand and become absolutely sure that we have this eternal life. His goal is to help us to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we have this zoane aeonion. It's funny, as it's interesting too, like of all of the times, and I, could, I counted about 43 times that the phrase zoane aeonion appears in the Scripture. And of all of those times, of all those 43 times, more than half of them are in the writings of John. 17 of them are in John's Gospel alone. Seven times this phrase, Zoe zoaneionion, appears in 1 John, this letter that we're studying. Three times this phrase, Zoe zoaneionion, appears in this passage that we're studying this morning and the passage with which we finish our study of 1 John. So what I hope you see is that John is all about eternal life. He's all about eternal life, but he doesn't just mean living forever. Okay? What he means is much more. He means what Jesus meant. He means what Daniel meant and what Isaiah meant. And and this is something that theologians have have always wrestled with how to communicate well. And so one example is this scholar I, I mentioned earlier named Tom Wright. He says the secret at the heart of the early Christian movement was that the age to come had already been revealed. The future had burst into the present even though the present time wasn't ready for it. This life which we have in Christ is indeed the life of the age to come. The Creator has brought His future purposes up into the present. And He says something radically new has been launched upon the world even at the drastic cost of 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 God's own son. So that's N.T. Wright. Another is a Canadian theologian. His name's George Eldon Ladd. And Ladd said, the future kingdom has invaded the present order to bring human beings the blessings of the age to come. The kingdom, which will appear as an apocalyptic act at the end of the age, has already come into human history. Has already come into human history in the person and mission of Jesus to overcome evil, to deliver people from its power, and to bring them into the blessings of God's reign. Okay? It's true. It happened. And what this means is that, for example, when Jesus met with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and Jesus tells him that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, what Nicodemus understood Jesus to be saying is that those who believe in Jesus won't perish, but they will have the life of the age to come. They'll have this zoin aeonion, okay? In John chapter 4, when Jesus is meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well, and they're having a conversation about living water, Jesus wasn't just promising her that he can help her to live forever if she drinks this living water. Because as she listened to Jesus, she knew that what he's saying is, That this water will become a spring of water welling up to the life of God's new age the life of the age to come that's John chapter 4 another one is John chapter 6 where Jesus finishes preaching this amazing sermon about how he is the bread of life okay Jesus is the bread of life and when he's teaching that metaphor he's not just saying he wants everybody to, to partake of him and live and not die What they heard him say is, this is the will of my Father, that all who look on the Son and believe in him should share in Aoneon, should share in the life of the age to come. Now we could go on and on and on. What I hope that we're hearing is that when John says this when when John says eternal life, he's not just saying, I want you to know you're going to live forever. Like that's true. It's not the truth isn't less than that, but it's much much more. What John is saying is I want you to know, okay? Beyond the shadow of a doubt that through Jesus the future has come into the present and you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you trust him, you get to live in part in the life of the age to come. You get to experience the future here and now. And and I know that I'm I'm belaboring this point, but it is important that we hear a difference between what you and I think of as eternal life and this idea of the life of the age to come. Right? I might illustrate the difference this way. It's kind of like the difference between a person who lives in Hamilton and this person, person A, who lives in Hamilton and says, you know, uh, someday I would love to go to visit the Caribbean. And then there's person B. And person B lives in Hamilton. And person B owns property in Jamaica. This person can go there anytime they want. In fact, all that they have to do in order to end up in Jamaica is they open a door, they step through the door, and they're in Jamaica. They don't have to travel. They're just there. They have the life of Jamaica here and now. Do you hear the difference between those two things? That's what John means by eternal life in our English Bible. That's what he means. It means the life of the age to come. And that's the promise for every person who is a follower of jesus okay it reminds me of one of my favorite beatles songs do do you have any any beatles fans in here oh praise the lord you know a few years ago when we got started i showed a, an image of et and i asked how many people knew what movie that was in a room full of millennials nobody knew who et was thank god that you know who the beatles are one of my favorite beatles songs is here comes the sun and it's off of the abbey road album which came out in late 1969 now here comes the sun is a very famous song but there's actually a really interesting story behind it it's written by george harrison george is the quiet beetle that's what everybody called him and he wrote it during a season when the beatles were like on top of the world okay like, um, everybody is making all kinds of money off of the Beatles. They're just on top of the world. You'd think that being a Beatle is an amazing life. You'd think that's really, really great. But George Harrison struggled because he's surrounded by lawyers and accountants and label executives. And it didn't feel like art anymore. He lost the passion. It felt like a business. And so in January 1969 in England, he actually tried to quit the Beatles. I don't know if you know that. knew that. He tried to quit the band. And they wouldn't let him go because the label was like, "No, no, no! You've got a contract and, and all of that." So not, the winter of 1969 was an awful winter for George Harrison, and he called it a winter of discontent. And that winter, the, the the record label called Apple, they invited the the band and a bunch of execs to come together and have this big meeting and talk about the future of the Beatles. And George Harrison actually skipped the meeting, and he tells what happened uh, in his autobiography. He says here comes the sun was written at a time when apple and that's the name of their record label apple uh, was getting like school where we had to go and be businessmen sign this and sign that anyway it seems as if winter in england goes on forever by the time spring comes you really deserve it so one day i decided i was going to sag off apple and i went to eric clapton's house the relief of not having to go see all those dopey accountants was wonderful and i walked around the garden with one of Eric's acoustic guitars, and I wrote, Here Comes the Sun. Now, if you aren't familiar with the song, here are some of the lyrics to Here Comes the Sun. Little darling, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. Little darling, it seems like years since it's been here. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun, and I say it's all right. Another verse says, little darling, the smiles returning to their faces. Little darling, it seems like years since it's been here. But here comes the sun. The third verse says, little darling i feel that ice is slowly melting little darling it feels like years since it's been clear here comes the sun here comes the sun i say it's all right and when i think of the age to come and what it's going to be like and i contrast that life with the life that i often experience here and now i feel that contrast very deeply i don't know about you when i think of that contrast my heart says it's been a long cold lonely winter it seems like years since it's been clear but here comes the sun it's all right now this is the last message in first john this is the this is part eight of eight and in some ways some of the what john says in this passage that we heard read some of it is review but some of it is not in fact, here is where John shares his thesis. Here's where he shares his goal for the letter. It's in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have this eternal life, so that you may know that you have Zoe Neoneon. And when he's saying that, he's not just saying, I want you to know that you're going to live forever someday. He's saying, I want you to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that today, brothers and sisters, you live in the age to come. Today, you have that. You have the life of the age to come. I want you to be assured that you have the life of God's coming age here and now. And that's, that's his aim. That's his thesis. And, and as, he, as he wraps up his letter, there seem to be three things that are true of us and true of everybody who has this life of the age to come. The first is that we have a confidence if we live in this life of the age to come the second is if we live this life of the age to come we have a concern for each other and the third is that there's a command from god that we follow if we have this life of the age to come and this just seems like a great way for us to end the first the first thing that's true of us if we have this life of the age to come is that we have a confidence before god We have a confidence before god and this comes in verses 14 15. john says this is the bold confidence we have before him. If we ask something according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we already possess the requests we have asked from him. What John is saying is that whatever we ask of him according to his will, it's it's as good as ours. It's as good as ours. Now, some of you hear that, and I bet you're like, well, does this mean I can ask God for a million dollars and I can know that it's as good as mine. Can I I be confident of that? And uh, the answer is no, because John isn't saying that God is like a genie and you can just ask him for whatever you want uh, according to your will. He's saying, no, God hears us when we ask anything we wish according to his will. According to his will. Okay? You hear the difference, right? Now, it's possible that a million dollars is part of God's will for my life, but probably not. Probably not. But maybe I find myself in a situation where it's like, God, I'm upset with my friend. They've wronged me. Please give me courage and grace to forgive my friend according to your will. Maybe I find myself in a situation where it's like, Lord, I'm being tempted. Jesus, I'm being tempted, and I don't want to go down this road. Please give me strength. Help me to find a way out according to your will. We know that we have these. We know that we have what we have asked according to God's will. God loves to answer this kind of prayer. And the reason is because in the age to come, there is no temptation. And there is no sin or fear or pride. And so, in a sense, every prayer that we pray according to God's will is a prayer that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Let me say it again. Every prayer that you and I pray according to God's will is really a prayer that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. I hope you know that. And so, we have this confidence before God that He hears and uh, that He hears us, and that we have everything that we ask according to His will. That's our confidence before Him. Well, another thing that's true of us, if we have this life of the age to come, is that we actually have a concern for one another. We have a concern for one another. Now. This is explained in verses 16 and 17, and it might be confusing, but because John makes a distinction between sins that are deadly, some versions say, that lead to death, and sins that, that aren't deadly, or sins that don't lead to death. And it's prob- if, if it's confusing for you, it's probably because, you, you know, we understand that all sins are deadly in a sense, In a sense, every kind of sin is deadly. There's no kind of sin that you can commit that doesn't have a consequence of separating you from God. The Apostle Paul, he said, the wages of sin is death in Romans 6. The Apostle James in chapter 5 said, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So again, in a sense, all sin separates us from God. Some sin does that immediately, like a sudden wedge, like that suddenly chops us off from him. But that's not the kind of sin that, that John has in mind here. There are some sins that are deadly over a very long period of time. There are some sins that we don't know, the, we don't realize the effect that they're having on us, except that they have this cumulative effect, that, like, a, like a toxin, like a poison. So that one day we wake up and we realize, like, I'm spiritually dead and I don't really care. Like I actually, I don't really care what God thinks of me, and I don't care that I don't care. You just wake up one day, and you realize that. And when that happens, when somebody is committing that kind of sin, John says they should ask God, and God will give life to the people who are sinning. He's forcing us outside of our comfort zone, okay? Because in, in, in that context, it might be you know, well, you, we've, we've been talking about this before, that there had been false teachers who had been spreading some false teachings saying that bodies don't matter. It doesn't matter whatever you do with your bodies. It's up to you. And, and that led the people to commit all kinds of sins. And some sins are, are more serious than others. And I suspect that if we were there seeing our brothers and sisters committing these kinds of sins, I suspect some of us would want to ignore it because it's not our business, it's their life, it's not our life, we don't want to be judgmental. And it's interesting that John here in Scripture, he won't let us do that because he knows we have a concern for that brother and sister. We, if we have this life of the age to come, we have a concern, we have a responsibility for that brother and sister. It reminds me of a story in Luke chapter 10 where we're told about this, this expert of the law, this lawyer who goes up to Jesus he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit this neoneon? What must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I inherit the life of the age to come that Daniel spoke about? You know what Jesus' answer was to him? It was the, the Good Samaritan story. Where there's a man who is beaten up and robbed, and he's left bleeding on the side of the road, and he's ignored by everybody who, who came along and saw him and should like, give a rip about him. They all were too busy, and they move on but along comes this Samaritan, somebody who really has no reason to care about a Jewish man, but he stops and he cares for him. He looks after him. He bandages his wounds. He takes him to an inn. He pays the cost of his recovery. What's Jesus' point here? Why is Jesus giving this as the answer to this guy who's asking, how do I inherit this zoean aeonion? Jesus is is saying, those who share in the life of the age to come they don't mind their own business when they see someone struggling they don't just mind their own business when they see someone suffering and it doesn't matter whether the suffering is because of something that has happened to that person or something that the person chose for themselves it actually doesn't matter whose choices it was jesus is saying we are concerned we have a responsibility and john is saying the same He's, he's not saying that we go around policing one another, okay? Like, we're not going to be the morality police and we're going to throw people's sins in their faces, but like, let's say that there's a, a sister who is no longer walking in step with Jesus. Well, she needs you to pray for her. You have a concern for her. She, what she needs from you is to pray for her. Let's say that there's a brother who has gone off the path. Well, that brother who is no longer living in the way of Jesus. He needs you to pray for Him. Because in this age to come that we're talking about, there is no sin. There is no it's, Sin is obsolete in the age to come. You get that? It's obsolete. It's, it's extinct. There is no more sin. And so until then... We have this responsibility for each other. We have this concern to help one another live more and more the life of that age to come so that we can experience that life here and now. And when we're not, when we're not experiencing because we've made maybe sinful choices, we pray for each other. That's the concern that we have for each other. That's what John's trying to say here in this this, uh, final part of the passage. And the third part, the final part, uh, the final thing that's true of us if we have this life of the age to come that john wants to leave us with is this command that we follow we have a, a command that we follow it's here in verse 21 it's very simple this is how john ends the letter children guard yourselves against idols that's a funny ending eh? like no hey sincerely yours john all the best good luck with all of this stuff you guys hope to see you soon it's no children guard yourselves against idols now, what is that? Well, in John's culture, what that might have meant is that maybe there's like this holiday in town, and so all of the villagers or all the people in the town, they all go and they gather at some pagan temple, and they bow down, and they sing songs, and they maybe dance, and they lay some wreaths, and they put down a loaf of bread and some coins at the foot of this statue of a Greek god or a goddess. Well, that statue is an idol. There'd be a lot of people in that culture who'd say, like, just do it. It's fine. It's just a statue. It's nothing. It has no power over us. John says, no, guard yourselves against idols. Guard yourselves against idols. 2,000 years later, a lot of us, a lot of folks in our culture, perhaps some folks here would say, come on, we don't have idols. It's nothing. It has no power over us. I would just say, like, if... We can't name the idols in our lives or if we can't name the idols in our community or if we can't name the idols in our culture there's a really good chance that the idols are winning it seems to me there's a really good chance that the idols have blinded us to the fact that they have the power over us that they do so what is an idol what's an idol well an idol is anything that we bow down to in a spiritual sense it's anything that functions in your life As a substitute for God. That's what an idol is. An idol is something that has the authority to tell you who you are and why you exist. That's what an idol is. An idol is anything that shapes and and controls how you spend your time and who you spend your time with. An idol is anything that you count on to save you and to, to protect you. An idol is anything that you look to to give your life meaning and help you know that you're important because of this thing. That's an idol. That's when it's an idol. And most of the time, an idol isn't going to be a bad thing. Most of the time, idols are going to be good things that have gotten out of control or things that have gotten out of proportion. It's, and so it's good things like friends or our wealth or our possessions, or it's things like our achievements or our, a reputation or a career or our kids and, and on and on and on what John wants us to know is the world is full of idols it's full of idols it's full of things that compete for our worship and devotion and that's just how this world is but not so for you because the life of the age to come has no room for idols there's no room for idols in the life of the age to come and it reminds me of this story in Mark chapter 10 we have this story of a guy who comes and visits Jesus a rich young man, and he asks Jesus, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit this zoin Aoneon? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And you're probably familiar with the story. You've heard this story before. Jesus' answer is, come on, you know what to do. Keep the law, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy goes, yeah, I got that. I, I do all of that stuff already. And Jesus says, well, how about this? Go and sell everything that you have, give the money to the poor, and then start following me. And the rich young ruler, he goes away crying and depressed and sad because he thinks that he knows God. He thinks that he trusts God. But the truth is, his wealth is his God. He has an idol of, of wealth. And so he came to Jesus in this story. He asked, goes to Jesus asking, Jesus, how can I know that I have the life of the age to come? And Jesus' answer is, get rid of your idols. Get rid of every idol. Give your wealth away. Get rid of anything that competes with God for the throne of your heart that's when you will experience the life of the age to come. You guys, that's what John means. John means that idols are everywhere. They're everywhere. But in light of the age to come, John is saying, guard yourselves against idols. You guys, that's what a Christian is. We guard ourselves against idols. And so that's our challenge. That's the invitation that John uh, issues here. This is how he ends the letter. This is so important to him that he ends the letter this way. Now, in a sense, this is what he's been saying all along, okay? Just a real quick review, 20-second review. John has said a Christian isn't somebody who's going to claim to be without sin. That's not a Christian. A Christian is somebody who confesses their sin. And if you confess your sin, that is one assurance that you have, that you have this life of the age to come. That's one assurance that it's yours. He said that a Christian isn't somebody who's going to say that I believe in God, I just don't obey God, I just don't do what God says. But if we reject false teachers and if we reject their false teaching, John said in this letter, that's another assurance that we have this life of the age to come. John has said a Christian won't hate uh, one another, won't hate others and, and love God. It's impossible. But if our love for God if that leads us to love uh, one another, then that's a good assurance that we have this life of the age to come. That's a good assurance that we have this life of the age to come. A, a Christian is also somebody who isn't going to love God and the world. But if we're different from the world, that's an assurance. A, a, a Christian is someone who can't possibly love God and not be concerned about the needs of their, and the well-being of their brothers and sisters around them. A Christian is someone who doesn't just love with you know thoughts and prayers and and words alone but a a Christian is someone who loves with actions and truth that if we if we do that that is our assurance that we have this life of the age to come John has said a Christian isn't gonna love Jesus and not fight sin but if we fight sin if we are if we struggle against sin that is our assurance that's one of our assurances that we have this life of the age to come that's what he's been saying all along in this book that's what this book is about knowing that we know that we know that our old life is ended and now we share in the life of god's coming age that's not just what this book is about that's what christianity is that's what our good that's our gospel that's our gospel. The future has come into the present. The future has come and has landed square in the present, and now we share in the life of God's coming age. Okay? We inhabit this present evil age, and we inhabit the, the age to come, and we inhabit those at the same time. We live in the present, and we live in the future at the same time. And for now, we, we taste that coming age. We experience it by, by faith. The fullness of it is coming. When Jesus comes, we will, have that, we will have that life fully that we have in part now. Now listen, I know and, and I experience the same sorts of things that you do. I live in the same world that you do. I live in the same city that you do. And, and I, when I see the things that you see, I'm affected by them just like you are all right there is a lot of brokenness and there's a lot of hurt there's a lot of crime there's a lot of violence there's a lot of injustice there's a lot of corruption there's a lot of division but could we be encouraged Could we be comforted and strengthened by the assurance that we have the life of God's coming age here and now? Couldn't we be comforted and encouraged by that? Couldn't we be comforted and encouraged by the reality that it won't always be this way, that what we taste right now we will experience fully in the age to come? I hope that 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 is comforting for us. I hope that, it is, like, that it's life-giving for us to know that there is more to life than what we see. I hope it's, it's life-giving for us to know that Jesus is coming to finish the job. He's coming to wrap it up. And when he does, we will be raised with him. I hope that that's life-giving for you and encouraging and, and life-sustaining and comforting for you. I hope you know, friends, that even though, little darlings, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter, and it seems like years since he's been here, here comes the sun. I hope that it's comforting for you to know that that ice is slowly melting, and it feels like years since it's been clear. But here comes the sun, and it's all right. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.